Red Rocks Church, how are we doing? Good? I'll take it. No, let's do that again. Red Rocks Church, how are we doing? Good? That's what I'm talking about. Let's do this. Let's say hi to our 58,000 campuses around the Denver Metro. No, we, that's a good problem to have. Littleton, of course, we love you. Lakewood, we love you. Arvada, we love you. Evergreen, we absolutely love you. And can we do this? Such a huge round of applause for all the men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses. We love you so much. So much. So honored we get to worship with you every weekend. And then let's do this. I need this one more time from you guys, and then you can rest, okay? But, but at all of our campuses, to the newest member of our families across the pond in Brussels, Belgium, can we give it up for them? We love you guys as well. So grateful that we get to worship with you every weekend. The pastries at the Brussels campus are unbelievable. Unbelievable. I got to get back sometime. No, I don't. I don't need that. It's no, don't move on. Let's do this. We're going to have an awesome weekend of church, um, but I want to pray and I want to quiet our hearts and I want to make sure, especially if you're new here, I want you to hear just a little bit of the heartbeat of this place. Um, we, we try to be really excellent at what we do. We work really hard. Um, we believe in a excellence. We believe in a good work ethic that honors God. It's worship to God. But <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 4.20 says something really interesting, especially for someone like myself. It says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power, which kind of stinks for me because I get paid to talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but, but here, here, talking's not bad. Preaching's not bad. In fact, it's biblical. We're called to do it. But here's the deal. If it's devoid of God's power, it's not only a waste of your time, it's actually an indictment on your time. And so what I want every weekend when I get up here is... <clears throat> that the power of the Holy Spirit would speak so powerfully through me about God and his son, Jesus Christ. And if that can happen, every one of us at all of our campuses this weekend, we win. And so can we all pray together in, in unified fashion for that to happen right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who illuminates your word and lives in us as your believers. And God, I thank you, thank you, thank you that you sent your son into this world to die a death on a cross and to be rose again from the dead on the third day to conquer sin and death in our place for us, to invite us back into this redemptive story that is so beautiful and so life-changing. And so God, we just pray in these next few minutes that you would be with us and you would do such a beautiful redemptive work here in Denver, Colorado and in Brussels, Belgium and in Canyon City and anybody listening online or the podcast, God, speak in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 17. We're going to finish up this battle-tested uh, uh, series. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. We're going to go out swinging. I'm going to preach a, a really obscure part of Scripture that even if you've been in the church for the last 30 years, I bet you probably haven't heard this story before. It's a battle uh, that's titled The Battle Between David and Goliath. Yeah, right? Everyone, even if this is your first time in church, you, if you're an American, you have some idea about this story. This story has echoed throughout history for a reason. Some 3,000 years now after this has happened here in Denver, Colorado, we're going to spend our whole uh, weekend focusing on this narrative in scripture, this battle between this teenage boy and this nine foot giant. It's awesome. You could famously dub this if you were titling it like the shot heard round the world, right? Because this, this young kid who was way out of his league with one stone and one slingshot and one attempt, he, he gives a lethal blow to this giant Goliath who's a representation of the enemy of God. And I was gone this last week and um, I was in Illinois and I was preaching at a, 
young adult and youth conference and it was like high schoolers and 20 somethings and, and it was awesome. And I, I got to the church the night before I was supposed to preach. I was preaching last Friday night and I got there on Thursday night and did a sound check. And one of my best friends is in Rockford, Illinois. His name's Sonny Savitsky. And he's one of the varsity coaches at the, the high school basketball team that's connected. It's a Christian school. It's connected to the church I was preaching at. And uh, so I went over after I did my mic check and I went over to meet Sonny and we were going to go grab some dinner and catch up and all that stuff. And so I walk into the gym and there's three players from the varsity team that are just sitting there on the sideline talking and Sonny's not around. And so I walk up to him. I say, hey, you guys know where Coach Savitsky's at? And they're like, he's actually out in the hall talking with one of our players. And so I just started small talking with these guys. And then it kind of hit me, wait a minute, these guys go to the school connected to the church where we're about to have a youth conference. And so I go, hey, are you guys going to conference? And one of the three kids goes, yeah, I'm going. I'm like, sweet. I'm going to be there too. I'm actually talking tomorrow night. I hope to see you there. And then I asked the other kid and the next kid goes, no. And I've been a youth pastor for a lot of years. So I know what that means. Leave me alone. Right. And so I just go, okay, well, if you change your mind, man, it'd be awesome to have you there. And then I asked the next kid, and he was a little more timid, and his name was Kevin, and he just goes, nah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go. And I go, why aren't you going to go, Kevin? You should go. And he goes, well, I don't, I don't have the money. And I go, well, Kevin, I got good news for you. I got my allowance this week from my wife. <laughs> I got some fun money, and I want to pay for your conference. And then he goes, well, and I started to realize he was still trying. He goes, well, my, one of my best friends has a birthday party tomorrow night, so I couldn't even go tomorrow night. I go, that's okay. I'll pay for you to go Saturday. I'd love for you to go Saturday. Would you go Saturday? And he's like, well, and he was starting to give another excuse. And so here's what I did. Right or wrong, here's what I did. I go, I'll tell you what, boys. Will you do this? Will you give me one shot from half court? And if I hit that shot, will you promise me on your word as a young man that you will show up to conference, even if it's just Saturday night and I will pay for it? And they look at me, you know, and they go, yeah, we'll take that <laughs> all day long. And so I grab the ball and I act like I've been there before. And so I put the ball through my legs twice and they're down on the sideline. So my back's walking away from them. And it was one of those moments that's like surreal, like out of body experience. It happened really fast, but I'm having this conversation with God and I, and I put the ball through my legs twice, but on the second time, it like, like went away from me and I had to go chase it down. And I know they were laughing at me, but I started going, God, come on, man, I need this. Let me hit this shot. Come on. I know you want those. I know you want Kevin at conference, right? He needs Jesus. Let me hit this shot. And I'm bartering with God. And I get back there and uh, Coach Savitsky, my friend Sonny, walks in and Sonny's known me long enough to, to know this rule. When Chad's around, you just start filming because something's going to happen, right? <laughs> and so he wanted to Snapchat my shot. And so I get back there and I'm like, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God. And I play it up like I've done this before and I'm like uh, checking the air and they don't think that's funny, but I'm like, I'm pretty funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I take a couple dribbles and I start going towards the line and then... Watch this. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you. All day long, right? And I hit it and I ran away for a minute, but then I told myself, act like that's normal. Act like that's what you do. Right? And I'm like, all right, boys, what's up now? <laughs> I go, you're going to make good on your promise? You're coming to conference on Saturday? And they're like, we'll, we'll be there. And Kevin showed up, and I sat with him during one of the, the, the day sessions on Saturday and just made him feel welcome. But I had a moment after I hit that shot in my car because I didn't think much about it. I just talked a little trash to them, you know, which is what guys do. But then I, I walk away from them, and I'm like, 
right? Like I should not have hit that shot. And I was thinking about that because I, I just have no business. You know, I'm in, my, I'm in a midlife crisis. You guys know that if you've been going here very long. I, I mean, I literally almost tweaked a hammy. I, I've told you this before, getting out of bed to go pee in the middle of the night. That's just where I'm at in life. I have no business hitting a half court shot, right? Look at me. I, I went to the doctor this week. True story. God is my witness and my wife. She's heard about it all week. I went to the doctor to get tested for strep right on my way home from the airport from my trip in Illinois. And he comes in and they take your height and weight before they do anything. And he comes in and he's looking at my chart and he says, well, Chad, it's good news. You, uh, you're negative for strep. I go, oh, that's awesome. Don't need that. He goes, one thing though, you're obese. Sorry, come again, doctor? Yeah, according to our BMI or whatever it's called, uh, body mass index, you're obese. He goes, we have, we have skinny, and then we have your target place, and then we have overweight, and then we have obese. And he goes, you're five, nine and a half, 212 pounds. And he goes, well, now, now keep in mind, we don't factor in muscle mass. I'm like, you're darn right, you don't. And I start flexing, and I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Like, you know, because I'm like feeling horrible about myself. I'm like, you're obese, doctor. No, you're not. I'm just, this is tough for me. So I go, I've been a, that's why I'm wearing all black, right? I'm just hiding stuff. I didn't want to wear this. I'm trying to hide stuff, right? A tough moment. My, my point is this. Please hear me when I say this. I had no business hitting that shot. King David had no business hitting that shot. In that situation, with those odds against that giant, with that much armor, who was what the Bible called a champion of war. And now we've got this glorified, let's put it in Denver terms, modern terms, this glorified Domino's pizza delivery kid, right? Because he was bringing his brothers cheese and bread. That's the whole reason he showed up onto the scene anyways. He had absolutely no business hitting that shot. But he hit that shot for the same reason I hit that shot. So Kevin would go to conference. And you need to understand this because typically when you hear David and Goliath preached, you don't hear the main theme preached. And do you know what it is? The radical, unconditional love of God for his people. That's why David hit the shot. That's why I hit that shot for Kevin to go to conference because he was about to go into an environment of faith where the gospel was unapologetically being preached so that God could reveal to this kid, Kevin, how much he absolutely loves Kevin. Kevin had no plans on showing up to a conference in an environment like that where God would ultimately, by the end of Saturday night, completely change the trajectory of his life. And so I got up on Saturday night and I played that video because I was gonna let those students know what I'm all about, right? <laughs> and after that video played, I said, Kevin, stand up. And he looked at me like, mm, uh, we're gonna need another shot for that. I go, stand up, and I, I felt bold. And it was because God had given me such a renewed vision of how much he loves each and every single one of us through that shot. And I said, Kevin, when I hit that shot, that was, because, that was not because you know I deserve to hit that shot. You, got, you know that. I have, no, I have no business hitting that shot. But I hit that shot. And I flew from Denver, Colorado to Illinois for no other reason to hit that shot so you could be in this environment tonight because if you will lean into the gospel and if you will lean into the good news you're about to hear and if you will listen with humble ears, God is gonna make this a mile marker moment in your life. This is gonna be one of those line in the sand moments. I'm literally, there's... A 
thousand or more kids there and I'm talking to him one-on-one with all of them listening and they start clapping and I, and, and I go, so Kevin, this is how much God wants you to know he loves you and everyone claps and I go, well, wait a minute, before you clap for Kevin, God would have done that for every single one of you kids in this room. Do you understand that? Because that is the radical nature of the love of God and in this story, this shot heard around the world, that we still talk about 3,000 years later. This is what God is trying to show us, is how much he is for his glory and in his glory, how much he is for his people because we are the image bearers and the carriers and the reflectors of God's glory. And so he's willing to go to the furthest lengths on planet earth to destroy the enemies in our life and ultimately the enemy, Satan, in our life so that we can walk in the full redemption that he paid the highest price through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to pay for our redemption. So let's pick up. David had just walked onto the scene. He's given away his bread and his cheese to his brothers, and he starts to realize that there's something really weird in the air. Some of these soldiers that young David would have seen that were part of the Israelite army would have been like his heroes, right? If they had soldier baseball cards back then, David would have probably had some of these guys in his set, right? And he's seeing all these guys that he once looked up to and they're all pale in the face and they're all cowering in fear. And he starts asking questions and then they they just keep pointing down into the valley, And then there's this nine foot man, Goliath, this champion of war, this like supernatural looking being. And everyone's scared to death and David for some reason isn't. And he just keeps asking more and more questions. And then he finally realizes that, wait, this guy keeps calling someone one-on-one out and says, whoever wins, the war's over. Like, let's just go mono-e giant and whoever wins this thing, like we'll be slaves for you if you win and you'll be slaves for us if, if we win. And David's just compiling this information and they're like, yeah, but look at him. And here's where we pick up. Let's just read it. Goliath stood... And shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day, and I want you to hear this because this is the voice of the enemy nowadays, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who was the king at the time, right? The one who was supposed to lead them into battle. And all of the other Israelites, including the soldiers, were dismayed and they were terrified. But for some reason, not young David. Young David had a completely different set of eyes that he was seeing this whole situation through. He was filtering it completely through a lens of faith that none of those other people, including King Saul, had. And so he steps up, and and you want to know what his response is? I'll fight him. And at first, his brother rebukes him and says, go home and go back to the sheep, right? Because that's what happens. Anytime you start to, to express some confidence in your God to do what needs to happen in this lifetime, you won't even have just people in your life that are naysaying. You'll have some of the closest people that should have your back actually talking you out of God-ordained things, right? He says, just go home. And then he goes and tells Saul. He goes, I'll do it. And Saul goes, you're too young. And then he finally talks Saul into it. And Saul goes, well, at least put on my armor. Here you go. Like, well, how noble of the king to go, well, here's my armor. David tries it on and it just didn't fit and it didn't feel right. And David's like, I'm not here to play defense anyways. I don't need armor. I'm here to kill a a brother, right? (laughs) That's what he says. So he goes, I'm fine. I just need my, my, my 
my shepherd's stick and I, I just need my slingshot and a couple stones and I think we're good. You can go back and read it yourself. Saul goes, well, hey, the Lord, Lord be with you then. And, and David doesn't say this back, but, but you can tell by his tone. He goes, yeah, the Lord is with me. And, and then he says this, and I want you to not just hear what we're about to read. I want you to hear the tone. And if you go back and read the full story yourself, you'll hear this tone that I'm going to use in this statement from David, because this is what he was thinking. Listen, to this. he goes, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? He doesn't get to mess with Yahweh. And all my friends and some of my heroes and King Saul are cowering in fear. Well, I'll tell you why I'm not afraid. It's not because I'm anything special. It's not because I'm super strong. It's not because I really have any business hitting the shot I'm about to hit. It's because you don't get to do that to the God of Israel. You don't get to do that to Yahweh. You don't get to mess with the glory of the one true living God, Goliath. So I don't care how big you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how much of an imposing force you are. You don't get to do it not on my watch because you know what's at stake? The glory of Yahweh. And I love how David feels in this moment because he is so defensive with righteous indignation for the name and the renown of Yahweh to continue to go forward. So he steps up and says, I'll do it. And this is a battle-tested issue for warriors like you and I in the kingdom of God because what separated David from all the other soldiers, including King Saul, was that they must have completely been fixated on themselves. And that's what happens most of the time in life. That is our basic human nature. When we start to get tested, when the enemy of our life, the enemy of our soul, the devil, when he starts to lie to us, when he starts to accuse us, when he starts to taunt us like Goliath does here in the Old Testament, our human nature is first to look at the situation and to see if we're bigger, stronger, or faster, and if we could possibly do it in our own strength. And our job almost always when we're in a battle is we make the mistake of getting hyper fixated on who? The person in the mirror, us. And for some reason, all of Saul and his soldiers were focused on their story. Do you know what David was focused on though? God's glory. And can I tell you why all of these years later we talk about David and not Saul or any of Saul's soldiers? The reason he's written into the, the book of fame in Hebrews chapter 11 and not the rest of these guys is because David was just righteously indignant about anyone who would come and mess with Yahweh. And, and, and the spoils, listen to me, please, please hear me when I say this, Red Rocks, the spoils of the kingdom of God go to those of us who actually have the faith to care more about God's glory than we do our story. That, that's when real life really starts to happen, but this takes courage and this takes faith because here's the deal, and we're gonna see this as we progress. The more you lock into and the more you say, God, make me a soldier for you who cares more about your glory than my safety, who cares more about your glory than anything I'm gonna walk through in this lifetime. God, make me a soldier for your kingdom who is so battle-tested that when things in life get uncomfortable, I'm still focused on you and your glory and your name going forth through my life. God, can I be one of those people? And God says to you and I, you absolutely can. See, here's the ironic thing is when you make life all about God's glory, he will take care of your story. Please know that. And this is where our faith and our courage has to kick in. When you make life all about God's glory, he will see to it, just like he did with David, that he takes care of your story. Jesus put it this way, seek me first, my glory, 
my kingdom, and what? I'll take care of your story. Everything else that you get worried about and everything else that you fixate on that causes you oftentimes to shrink back in fear and worry and anxiety and let the taunts of the enemy start to win out in your life, you quit worrying about those things and you worry about my name and my renown and you, with righteous indignation, you protect my name and you watch what I do with your story. This is how God works. You were put here. If you're new to the scriptures, please hear me when I say this because you might go, really, I didn't. You were put here with one sole purpose when God created you and it was to bring glory to his name. This is the chief end of man. Do you understand that? It's not complicated. We complicate it. We think life's about all different kinds of things, but no matter what you do, no matter what job you're in, no matter what kind of relationships you're in, no matter what kind of social settings you're in, the ultimate reason you were born was to bring glory and to reflect glory to Yahweh, God. That's it. And so the ultimate thing, listen to this, Isaiah 43, 7, just so you don't think it's just my word here. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? My glory. Why did God create you? He created you to display and reflect his glory back to all of creation. That's when you are at your best. Whom I formed and made. John Piper puts it this way. The vindication of God's glory is the ground of our salvation. Let me translate that. The whole reason Jesus came back was so that God could fully be glorified again. That's why one of the last things he said before he died the death on the cross was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. May you be glorified. When he's wrestling in the garden, if he should go to the cross or not, he goes, God, help me to glorify you, not me, you, right? That's the whole purpose. Jesus knew this. He said, the vindication of God's glory is the ground of our salvation and the exaltation of God's glory, like David did in that moment, is the goal of our salvation, that's what David did. He says, you don't get to defy the God of Israel. You don't get to defy Yahweh. The whole purpose we're here is to not let you, Goliath, mess with God because we're here to carry and defend his glory. And when you come to the realization, please hear me when I say this, when you come to the realization that life is not about you, it is about the glory of God, it is a game changer for your story. See, we sabotage the supernatural blessing and favor and grace and work that God wants to do in our life because we get so controlling over our story. And what God wants to say to real warriors is just focus on my glory and I'll take care of your story. So the million dollar question you have to ask in any compartment of life, anytime you're making a decision about finances, relationships, your social life, your extracurricular activities, your career, anytime you're asking that question, you ask this, it, does this bring glory to God? Because that's the whole purpose you're here. And if the answer is no, then run from that relationship because redemption will not take place no matter how hard you try. No matter how much you control that relationship, no matter how much you control the environment, you cannot have the blessing of God and the glory of God in that relationship if it is not one that is bringing glory to Jesus' name. Same thing with your finances. Same thing with your friendships, with your social life, with your extracurricular activities. Does this bring glory to the name of Jesus? The apostle Paul said it this way. He says, Where, wh wh whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, here's what he says. Do it all for what? The glory of God. It's the million dollar question that battle-tested warriors constantly ask. Is what I'm about to do or not do bring glory to God. Now, 
Here's the good news that I've been working hard to get back to since I told you the Kevin story. The shot heard round Rockford, Illinois. Here's, here's the best news about God's glory. You are here for God's glory. Now, this is hard for some people because when you're around humans and they're all about themselves and they're all about the, the magnification of their lives, it's off-putting, right? Nobody wants to be around those people. We call them arrogant, prideful, and narcissistic, right? Who wants to be around those people? So it's hard sometimes when you're getting introduced to, to the fact that God's whole purpose that he put us on planet earth was to display his glory. If you don't understand the heart behind that and why his glory is the best thing possible for you in this lifetime, it can be off-putting. But please understand this. God's glory is his presence. And when we took the bite out of that apple, there was a massive degree of his glory and presence that was removed from us, Right? And so God has been spending generations reestablishing increasing degrees of his glory back to earth. That's why when Jesus told us how to pray, one of the things he said was, on earth as it is where? In heaven. Why? He wants a reestablishment of his glory on earth. When Jesus finished the work on the cross, there was a whole new degree of established glory on planet earth because now instead of sensing the Holy Spirit sometimes, now because of Jesus, we get to have the Holy Spirit living in us, which means God's glory is shinier and brighter than it's ever been no matter how you feel about this globe right now. And the reason that God's glory is the best possible news for us is because God's presence is full of what? Love. First John tells us very clearly, very explicitly, God is love. We often think God gives love, right? Like God disperses love as he sees fit. God disperses love to those who earn it. God gives love when God wants to give love. That is impossible. God doesn't give love. God is love, which means wherever God's glory is, guess what's right there with it? Love. They are inextricably connected. Do you understand that? They are soulmates. They cannot be separated. They are one in the same. Where God's love is, God's glory is felt. Where God's glory is, love is going to manifest out of you and out of other people. And here's the reason that's good news. is because God loves you enough to send his son into the world to die for you and I that we could be redeemed back to him. And what I mean by this, if God is all about his glory, the way it's gonna be shown in your life and my life and on planet earth is by radical, unconditional, scandalous, we call it, grace and love that he's shown us in Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. Isaiah 61, one through three. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is Isaiah prophesying about how Jesus would minister what Jesus's heart would be when he came to planet earth. Now, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. You understand that? He's the express image of the invisible God. So everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did was showing us what this invisible, unseen God is exactly like, okay? And so here's Jesus's ministry according to Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon Jesus because the Lord has anointed Jesus to listen to how loving this is bring good news to the poor. It glorifies God for the poor to hear and receive good news. He has sent me here to bind up the brokenhearted. Some of you at all of our campuses, you walk in here right now and that is the theme song of your heart. You are broken. And do you understand the greatest way God can have glory through your life is to bind up your broken heart and give you healing? That's always 100% of the time his desire to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives 
an opening of the prison to those who are bound. Listen to that, men and women that got behind bars. The opening of the prison to those who are bound, not literally, that would get you in trouble, but he, he wants to take every ounce of pain and hurt that you've experienced. Men and women that got behind bars, please listen to me. Everything you've experienced, and he wants to deliver you and proclaim liberty over that right now. That's his heart. That brings glory to him. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, he wants to comfort all who mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion. He wants to give them, listen to this, this is the heart of God, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise. God wants to give you for his glory. If you don't think you've earned it, if you don't think you're worthy of it, at least know this, he wants to do it in your life for his glory. If you can't accept it, just know this, God wants to do this for you for his glory. He wants to give you a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that we may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord. You ready for it? What's his motivation? That he may be glorified. There should be never a cockiness because that's not a kingdom word, but there should be the same spirit and confidence that King David had when he walked on to that field. And without even thinking twice, fought Goliath. That same spirit David carried, you have on the inside of you. Romans 8 says the same spirit that literally raised Christ from the dead now lives on the inside of you. You should never accept being taunted by the enemy in any area of life. And here's what he loves to do. He loves to accuse you and lie to you, and he loves to condemn you. He wants you to make you think you don't qualify for the love of God. And what we're called to do is look him right back in the face like King David and go, you don't get to defy my God by what you're doing to me with this depression. No more. You don't get to defy Yahweh with this anger problem that you keep trying to stir up in me. No more. You don't get to defy the armies of the living God and his glory in my life anymore with this addiction that I can't seem to beat because God's going to beat it for me. Because that's how much he loves me and his glory is at stake. Psalms 23, I just want to make sure you understand this scripturally. The Lord is my shepherd. This is David much later after he killed Goliath writing this. The Lord is my shepherd. Listen to how good this is. I shall not want. Listen to how God, good God is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We all want that. Listen to this next one. I love this. He restores my soul. Every one of us at every campus, that's what we want, a rested soul. Rested soul, rested life, right? And it's saying this is what God does. And then it says this. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Under the new old covenant, this meant right living. He leads me to live right. And, and what's the whole motivating factor for the goodness of God here? For his namesake. And again, some of you, you need to hear this because you have not yet been given the revelation of love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. You have just gone too far or you've done this or you've done that or, you know, something happened in your life where you are, are letting the enemy of your soul torment you day and night just like Goliath did every morning and every evening for 40 straight days, just tormenting you to keep you in fear and to keep you in condemnation and to keep you in shame. This is what the enemy wants to do, but you need to understand your position in Jesus Christ because you were created from the foundation of the world to bear the image and therefore the glory of God. 
Here's what's going to happen. God is going to fill you with his love so that you can display his glory because the two are completely the same. You are loved by God the same way God loved that kid Kevin so much that he let me hit that shot. Same, same reason David hit that shot. Band, you guys can go ahead at all campuses and come out. The Apostle John says this. Please hear this. Because David walked onto that battlefield, unlike all those other guys, and he just wasn't afraid. Go back and read the story in its fullness, and you'll just see this confidence David had, and you go, God, I want that. And, and we don't get told when, and there's no portion in Scripture, that, at least that I found yet in David's biography, where, where, David, where we see where David gets a revelation of God's love. But at some point for him to walk on that battlefield and have that kind of righteous indignation against the enemy who was taunting his God, there had to be a revelation of love. And here's why. 1 John 4, 8. There is no fear in love. Perfect love only way you're getting that is in Jesus Christ, just so you know. That's the only ultimate form of perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. Why? Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not yet been perfected in love. David at some point had a revelation of God's love that those other soldiers did not have. And you know what they were thinking about? Punishment. Look how big that guy is. Look how small we are. Right? That's what they're thinking. Look how overwhelmingly huge that giant is. Look, their God must be stronger than our God. Or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just that God wouldn't, would put this giant in front of me and I can't go fight him because God's punishing me because maybe during Yom Kippur I didn't really bring the sacrifice I was supposed to bring. Or maybe I didn't, I didn't approach the temple with the holiness that I was supposed to and God knows it and maybe that's why there's this huge giant so I must be getting punished and so I'm just gonna sit back here in fear and I'm not gonna defend the glory in the name of God and here comes this little kid unassuming and he just goes, no, you don't get to do that. David knew something about the love of God that the rest of those guys didn't and so they missed out on the best for them in that moment. And David didn't, and none of us have to miss out on it. But the only way we fight under the new covenant, we're not, we're lovers now, not fighters, okay? You understand that? That's the new covenant. The, the way we fight now is not against people. We don't hurt people, we don't harm people, we don't shed blood. Here's how we fight in the new covenant, unlike the old covenant in these stories we've read. We fight, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, unlike the way the world fights. It says, our weapons are not carnal. They're not swords and bombs and spears and drones and all these different things nowadays. The way we fight is we take captive every thought until it's obedient to Jesus Christ. So your job as a warrior, to be battle-tested, your one and only job is to crack this thing open constantly and say, God, give me a new or a renewed revelation of how much you love me in Christ Jesus. And you just start reading about everything Jesus speaks about you. You start reading that you are the righteousness of God. You read Hebrews 10, 14 that says, For because of the sacrifice of this one man, Jesus, he has made me perfect forever, although I'm still being made holy. You sit here right now, and if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are perfect in the eyes of God and there's nothing you can do about it. Perfectly loved, seen as perfectly righteous 
Remember our birthright series? If you, if you missed that, go back online and listen to every message because all we did was for six straight weeks list out what Ephesians 1 says about you when you're in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. On your best day of holy living and on your absolute most rebellious day of holy living, you are a saint the same on both of those days. And it's not because of you, it's how awesome Yahweh is. You are chosen, you are holy, you are dearly loved. You're perfect, you're blameless. You're an adopted son or daughter into the kingdom of God with the complete and full rights of an heir. You are sealed in God's Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. Romans says if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter your mistakes. It doesn't matter what you walked in here regretting. It doesn't matter anything you think disqualifies you for the love of God. Listen, if you're in Christ Jesus, you've accepted his saving work. The Bible says we now get to count ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. And so you know what? I'm going to take the Bible up on that. I sin every week. I sin to some degree every day. I wish that wasn't true, but I still do. I'm still being made holy, practically. But I rest on the fact that positionally I'm perfect. And it fuels my desire to walk in holiness. And that's how we war in the kingdom of God. The enemy does not get to taunt you unless you let him. What a shame to let someone who has no authority in your life have a say. And how often so many believers, myself included, sometimes do that. We let them tell us all the things we've done wrong. We let them remind us of all the things we're not. What a shame to let him win when Christ paid for all of that punishment to be gone. If you're punishing yourself, if you walked in any campus and you're just punishing yourself thinking that's the noble thing to do for God, can I remind you of the words of Isaiah that the punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus and by his stripes, you never have to punish yourself again. If you're punishing yourself, you're wasting kingdom space and time because God's not punishing you. He loves you. And he cannot fully display his glory the way his glory deserves to be displayed through you in how you love and treat other people on planet earth. He cannot do that if you do not have a revelation of how much he loves you. The enemy will win every time and you will cower. And, and, and I pray for us to have the spirit of King David in this place. So at every campus, can we do this? Would you guys very quietly and respectfully, would you stand? We're gonna take communion in a minute, but before we do that, I have to ask the single most important question that you'll ever be confronted with on planet earth. Every head bowed, every eye closed out of respect for each other. If you came into any of our campuses and you've never received the free and saving work of Jesus Christ, you've never really been given a revelation of how much God loves you because of Christ Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to make a decision, but I want you to know the decision you're making. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What an awesome statement. The Bible also says in the same book, the book of Romans, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose from the dead, you shall be saved. That you cross over from death 
to life. Jesus said that you would be born again. It's not a physical birth, obviously now. It's a spiritual birth, guaranteeing your inheritance into the kingdom of God. If something in you, even though you can't fully understand even the fullness of what you're experiencing right now, is just compelled to say, yes, I want the free gift of Jesus Christ to cover my sins, that he can take the punishment in my place for me so I never have to punish myself again. Would you right now at all campuses, would you raise your hand and keep them up? This is the best decision I ever made in my life. Not even close to any other decisions come close. Keep them up. Be proud. Thank you. Thank you. Be bold. Thank you. At every campus, keep them up. This is, this is why we do church. You're safe here. You're in family here. We exist to make heaven more crowded. And that's what's happening right now all over the place at our campuses. Thank you, Jesus. You guys can go ahead and put those hands down. Can we at all campuses, can we encourage them and clap for them right now? I'm telling you, this is the best decision you have ever made. Hope you didn't sit on this when you walked in. If not, we have more for you. If, if you need a gluten-free bread, there's some at all of your campuses and one of the stations, one of our volunteers with a red shirt will gladly help you find that if you haven't already gotten some gluten-free bread. But I just want you to understand what you're about to do. Some of you, you know even better than me what you're about to do. Some of you, this is newer to you. And, and if you'll just open this packet on this first part of it, you'll see a little wafer of bread. And Jesus knew how much the enemy would try and distort his radical, unconditional love that is free over us. And so he instituted this thing where we would literally take a piece of bread and we would break it so that we would remember the physical beating and purging that Jesus went through. And the reason Jesus, he's not trying to be graphic. He's not trying to bring up some morbid moment in history. He's trying to bring this back up for all of us to remind us, do you see the extent I went to show you how much I love you? You want to talk about the shot heard around the world? That was Jesus' arms spread out on a cross, getting pierced for our transgressions, right? That's the ultimate shot heard around the world because that was the day not Goliath dropped, that was the day Satan was dropped for good. And we have an authority now in this bread and in this wine that reminds us of who we are and how loved you are. And I say it before and I'll say it again, you are so loved by God and there's nothing you can do about it. And as you break this little wafer and eat it, would you just say, God, give me a new or renewed revelation of your love for me? Let's break it and let's eat. Thank you, Jesus. I am so grateful. So grateful for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ he's shown in my life. And I want to dedicate my life to defending his glory. Don't you? That's the sweet spot. But it's impossible if you think you have to earn it or deserve it because you're not going to be good enough. Some, some, some days you'll have really good days and you'll, you'll bind the light. You are. You're not good enough yourself, but listen, you're good enough for God. You qualify to defend his glory. He busted his body and shed blood innocently on the cross so that you could qualify to participate in the revealing of his glory back to a fallen world. This isn't the same way after supper, he took a cup of wine and it was going to be representative of the blood that he shed because the blood that he shed was going to represent the new covenant. This New Testament covenant that we have that the, the book of Hebrews says is so much better than the old covenant. And he said, when you drink this, you just want to remember 
that you're a saint and that you're holy and that you're blameless and that you're chosen and that you're adopted and that you're sealed. That's what we drink to. Let's drink. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as we worship you in song, Jesus, I pray that you would be so glorified. So glorified, Jesus. Can we sing Red Rocks like we mean it this weekend? Can we sing it like we believe that we are loved? Can we sing like we believe we've been forgiven? As you sing, can you sing like God has completely removed your record of wrong and sees nothing but complete righteousness? You watch as we do that. He's going to give a bunch of you who need it so desperately a new revelation of his love, and you're going to walk out of any of the doors you're at stronger and better than when you walked in. Let's worship.